Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to greet all of you today, and I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online today. Thanks for being a part of our worship experience. I've got my Bible open to Matthew chapter 7. You might want to turn there in your Bible and just hold that ready for a few minutes. Um, before we turn our attention to the Scripture, though, I want to make a, an announcement, or I want to make a promo, uh, give you some encouragement with regard to the next Financial Peace University and Legacy Journey offerings from our Financial Freedom Ministry. Uh, we offer these classes multiple times throughout the year, and I'm always, at the beginning, I'm always uh, encouraging you, if you've not already gone through those, to do so, to sign up and be a part of those, because they have the power to change your life and your family's life for generations to come. Uh, there, you know, if statistics are, are correct on any level, if even kind of correct, then there are a lot of people even in this room today who are struggling in the area of finances. It doesn't have to be that way for you, though. It just doesn't have to be that way. If you can get over your pride, if you can get over your fear, if you can get over whatever and just sign up then these classes have the power to change your financial life. And you can pass that on to your children, and they can pass it on to their children. For generations to come, it can make a huge difference. And so I'm just encouraging you to do that. Both classes, Financial Peace University and Legacy Journey, start on Janu January the 17th. Both of them have the ability to uh, 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 give, uh, allow you to participate in person or virtually online. Uh, if you're uh, hesitant to, to be around other people. So take advantage of that opportunity. In the lobby today, there's a table, a financial freedom ministry table with information on the table, or you can log on to the website, mpcc.info, uh, and you can uh, uh, click on the help icon on the homepage. It'll take you to a list of offerings. One of them will say financial freedom ministry. Click on that. You can get all the information that you need. And along with that, uh, our financial freedom ministry will offer financial coaching to anyone in need. And these are people who have taken the time to go through the certification program at the Dave Ramsey organization down in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And they're certified financial coaches, not to judge you, not to make you feel bad about your mistakes or where you are in life, to, to coach you, to help you uh, with your finances. And so surely, surely there's somebody who needs to participate in one or more of those activities. So I just want to give you that word of encouragement today before we begin. All right, this is the first weekend of the new year, and normally on the first weekend of the new year, I spend some time in a state of the church message or some kind of a vision message, but I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to kick off the new year with a new year study, a new year series called My Golden Resolution. I don't know if you're someone who likes to make New Year's resolutions or if you're someone who thinks they're a waste of time, but I can tell you that every year uh, when a new year rolls around, I spend some time reviewing the, different, reviewing the different details of my life and trying to figure out in different parts of my life how I might be able to improve. I would venture to guess that many of you do the same. One of the areas in my life where that is most relevant is my spiritual life, and that's true for you as well. This past year has been a challenge to my personal spiritual life. I'm not afraid to say that this morning. And it's been a challenge uh, to my role as the pastor of this church because on top of the personal spiritual challenges connected to the coronavirus, uh, I've been the recipient over the past several months of lots of unhappy and uh, sometimes angry and often disappointing correspondence and communication. 
the combination of the coronavirus, the racial and social um, unrest in our country, a divisive presidential election, uh, and probably many other things has made this a difficult year for everyone. And it's caused some people, honestly, to just draw lines in the sand, so to speak, and basically have an attitude that says, you're either on my side or you're against me. I'm sure that you've encountered that in your own personal experience. But I made the conscious decision early on that I was going to do my best to not get angry at anyone, just be civil, and as considerate as possible with my responses. And honestly, the truth is, some days I was better at that than others. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some days I was better at that than others. But that was my goal. Now, I do want to say that I did have uh, a lot of correspondence and communication from people that, were, that was very respectful and, and very kind, and I appreciated that. <clears throat> but as I took the time uh, to review my spiritual life related to all those things, one of the things that I asked myself <clears throat> was, what's going to be my goal for the new year? Uh, what does my attitude need to be like in the new year? And about the same time I was asking and thinking about those questions, I was doing some devotional readings, and I read a verse that I'm very familiar with, been familiar with it for a long, long time. I've taught and preached on this verse multiple times, but I read a verse that really struck me in the moment. It's a part of a devotion. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, where Jesus says, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, so in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In fact, would you read that with me so I can hear your voices? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. As I said, I, I know that verse. I'm familiar with it. I've taught on it before. But it really struck me in the moment, and I thought, you know, this should be my specific New Year's resolution for 2021, to live out the words of that verse that we call the golden rule, that's the phrase we use to describe those words, to live out the words of that verse to the very best of my ability throughout the new year. And so that's what I'm going to try to do. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing by sharing this New Year's series called My Golden Resolution throughout the month of January. We're going to apply those words, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, to a lot of different things. But I'm going to kick the series off this weekend by applying them to understanding. One of the things that I want to do as I go through this new year is I want people to treat me with understanding. But according to Jesus' words, if I want people, if I want you, if I want others to treat me with understanding, then I need to be willing to treat them with understanding as well. Um, that's not always our first response when it comes to our relationships with people, people we know and people we don't know. Um, I've got my Bible, as I mentioned, open to Matthew chapter 7 for more reasons than just uh, the fact that that's where we find that verse that we call the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. I got my Bible open to Matthew chapter 7 because Jesus speaks some very clear words at the beginning of the chapter about uh, judging others, judging one another. In uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 1 and 2, we see that really clearly. And because we always make the public reading of Scripture part of our service, if you're able, I'm going to encourage you to stand this morning. Uh, you can stand with your Bible open to Matthew chapter 7, or you can just stand 
uh, and read these verses with me because I've put them up on the screen. Our public reading of Scripture is a very brief passage today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and I want you to read it with me. Let me hear your voices. Here we go. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's talk about these words for just a few minutes because oftentimes there's a lot of misunderstanding about these words. This is a passage that is often used when someone is confronted about their behavior. When someone's confronted about their behavior, they will often respond by quoting these words or at least a portion of them or some paraphrase of these words. But they're often misunderstood and misused, misapplied by both Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, uh, probably the most common misuse is when someone uses these words as a kind of a shield for sin or a uh, uh, a defense for their sin. Let's just imagine a situation where someone is confronted about their behavior and they respond by saying something like this. The Bible says we're not supposed to judge one another. And then they quote some version of Matthew chapter 7 and verse uh, 12, or excuse me, verse 1, like, uh, don't, do not judge lest you be judged. That's because they remember, that's the only verse they remember when they were in Sunday school as a kid and they heard it in the King James Version. What gives you the right to judge? God is the only one who can judge. That's God's job. But when you look at the words of Matthew chapter 7 that we just read, and even beyond, in the context of the passage, along with the teaching of the rest of the Scriptures, it's clear that those verses can never be used as an excuse to cover up or ignore sin. Never. That certainly wasn't Jesus' intent when he spoke those words so many years ago. And while I don't have time to go into great detail about the meaning, I will tell you that what Jesus was doing with these words that are in our Bibles as the first few verses of Matthew chapter 7 is he was rebuking the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who were quick to see the sins of others, but unwilling or unable to see their own sin in their own lives. So what we have is Jesus dealing with a very specific issue when he talks about judgment in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 7, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. You, you know, we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount a lot over the last several years that I have been the pastor here. We just not long ago went verse by verse uh, through the Gospel of Matthew. I can't remember if it was like three years ago or 30 years ago, but we went verse by verse uh, it felt like 30 years, three years ago. Uh, we went verse by verse to the Gospel of Matthew in a sermon series uh, called Let's Talk About Jesus. And if you remember, because there are so many chapters in Matthew, 28 chapters, I divided it up into different sections so that we could take breaks along the way. And when we got to the section, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount, where these words are found, which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, I told you that the title for that section for our study would be Just Say No to Religion. Because what the Sermon on the Mount teaches us more than anything else is what it looks like to live a righteous life, not a religious life, but a righteous life, a right life, a life that's right with God, not a religious life that's just filled with following rules and regulations that's characterized only by the things that we do and the things that we don't do, but a righteous life. And so towards the end, in what is our Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about what it looks like to live a righteous life by confronting the reality of hypocrisy, which was rampant among the religious leaders. In fact, 
I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read those first two verses that we read just a moment ago. But I'm going to continue down through verse 5. You follow along or you just listen. Jesus says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? And Jesus is using hyperbole here, friends. Don't let some commentator give you some other meaning for what a plank is. He's using hyperbole here. When he says plank, he means what you think of when you hear the word plank. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I can just picture Jesus looking directly into the face of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, as he spoke those words. This is a powerful message of Scripture. And if I were going to teach this morning just on those five verses, I was going to just do an expository study of those five verses, then here's the three things I would tell you that Jesus is saying. Number one, he's saying judgment is reciprocal in that the measurement you use for others will be used for you. And that's kind of a scary thing if you think about it. And our propensity to judge one another, he's saying it's reciprocal. Whatever measurement you use, whatever standard you use to judge someone else, that's going to be used to judge you. Then the second thing I would tell you that that uh, passage is telling us is that hypocrites, when it comes to judging others, hypocrites will always have the biggest problem. And I say that because of the part of the passage where Jesus said, why do you talk about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank sticking out of yours? If you only knew how foolish and ridiculous you looked or you sounded with your judgment... You'd stop right now. And then the third thing I would tell you that he's saying is that Jesus is saying he has absolutely no patience for hypocrisy, friends. He just doesn't. That last verse I read, verse 5, he just says, you hypocrite. First, Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I just, I just, I just see exasperation and frustration in Jesus' words. You hypocrite, take that stinking plank. And stinking's not in there, not even in the original language, by the way. Take that stinking plank out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. And that's how we need to understand those first few verses in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, let me tell you what Jesus is not saying in those verses. He's not saying that there's never a time when we can't make moral judgments about somebody else's behavior, moral judgments that are based on biblical principles. He's not saying that there's never a time when you can't hold someone accountable because they're not living the way that they're supposed to live. He's not saying anything like that. The Bible teaches us in other places about these things. I mean, Matthew 18 tells us how to confront someone who has sinned against us or who has sinned uh, against someone else. Galatians chapter 6 talks about uh, how we hold one another accountable, and you can go on and on and on. There's a lot more I could say about that, but I'm going to stop right there. We need to have this right and correct understanding of what the Bible says about judging others. Because one of the realities of our country and our culture today is that we are a people who are quick to pass judgment on others in pretty much every area of life. 
In fact, when I was writing this message, I got real specific, and I wrote down several examples of how we judge other people. Then I deleted all of them because I knew that if I said the things that I wrote down, it would make some people mad, and they would stop listening to me and listen to me. I've never been afraid to say what needs to be said, but I want you to listen to me today. I don't want to lose you because of your own stubbornness. We are a people who make finding fault with others at times seem like a recreational activity. And while I'll be the first to say that because of my biblical convictions, I will look at the lives of other people sometimes and I will see and I will feel and I will think and I will know that they're living in, in uh, opposition to the will of God for their life. This attitude of being quick to judge others does not reflect who Jesus was, and it does not reflect the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 when he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes our judgments are just plain wrong, and they don't reflect any level of kindness, and they don't reflect any level of compassion, let alone understanding. Have you ever heard the name Susan Boyle? Do you know who I'm talking about when I bring up her name? She's a woman who appeared and auditioned on a television show back in 2009 called Britain's Got Talent. She auditioned at the age of 47. I want to push the pause button for a second. Let's watch a brief part of her audition for that television show. Let's watch it on the screen together. Hi, what's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, uh, where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of, it's a collection of uh, villages. I to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. <laughs> and that's just one side of me. Okay, what's the dream? I, I'm trying to be a professional singer. And why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? I've never been given the chance before, but here's hoping it'll change. Okay, and who would you like to be as successful as? Elaine Page. Elaine Page. Like what are you going to sing tonight? I'm going to sing I Dreamed a Dream from the Miserables. Okay. Big song. <laughs> yeah? Yes.
right. I wish I could show you the entire clip, but it's too long for our purposes today. Here's the bottom line. Susan Boyle did not make a great first impression when she walked on that stage for that audition. She was plain. I'm not being unkind. I'm just trying to think of the right words to use. She wasn't very stylish. She was awkward in her responses to the judges. Actually, she had been diagnosed uh, as an adult with Asperger's syndrome, which is a developmental disorder that affects your ability to socialize and communicate effectively with other people. So she had that struggle that was working against her. Uh, the most telling thing in that clip to me, beyond just her ability to sing, was when Simon Cow asked her, what's the dream? She replied, I'm trying to be a professional singer. He then asked, why hasn't it worked out so far, Susan? And she said, I've never been given a chance before. Why do you suppose that was? I mean, really. And by the way, she ended up finishing second in that competition that year. She became a professional singer with worldwide fame and today has a net worth of around $40 million. I think she did pretty well when it was all said and done. We don't just judge people based on their looks or their social skills or lack of social skills. We judge people on a lot of other things as well, too many to mention today. We have a tendency to make snap judgments about others based on limited information and limited observations, misperceptions and preconceived ideas that all of us carry around. And often those judgments cause us to look down on others. And if we're honest, one of the reasons why we judge them and look down on them is because it makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. But the truth is, none of us None of us, not you, not me, no one who is watching online today, none of us have the right to judge anyone else for three specific reasons. This isn't the outline of the message, but for three specific reasons. First of all, we don't often know enough to pass judgment on others. That's especially true when all we have is some brief uh, surface level experience or observation with someone or with a circumstance. It's also true when we base our judgments on our personal opinions. If I was going to sit down and write a book uh, that was called Things I've Learned in 40 Years of Ministry, I would guarantee you that one of the things I would write down is you can't always tell who someone is or what's going on in someone's life based on a superficial observation or based on just looking at them. I remember many, many years ago when I first began to be a preacher, someone told me, preach to broken hearts because there's a broken heart in every pew. Later on, I read a revision of that that said, if you preach to broken hearts, your church will always be full. And I know that's true today. Because I've been a preacher long enough to know that what you look like when you come to church on Saturday night or Sunday morning and what's really going on in your life can oftentimes be two different things. And I'm certain today that I'm talking to a lot of brokenhearted people. You may do a really good job of camouflaging that in your everyday life, but at the end of the day, it's still true. The second reason why none of us are qualified to ever judge anyone else is because we aren't usually objective enough to pass judgment. 
When I first started in ministry, I didn't have very many books in my library. I just had a handful of commentaries written by a man named William Barclay, who was a pastor a long, long time ago, long time ago. And I remember uh, many years ago reading in one of the commentaries, and he wrote about the truth that in ancient days when the Greeks held a particularly important and difficult trial, they held it in the dark, literally in the dark, so that the judge and jury would not see the person on trial, and all they would go on was the information that they heard, the facts about the case, the trial that they heard, without ever seeing the people who were a part. And that's probably a very wise thing when it comes to making a decision or a judgment based on someone else's, or, or excuse me, on someone else's life. You ever been watching a football game? I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm kind of tired of watching football games. I've been watching football games out the wazoo for the last several days. Yesterday, I just finally had to say I'm tired of it and turned it off, and sadly, it was the IU game. You ever been watching a football game and there's a play that's just too close to call? I mean, even modern, in modern times with instant replay, you can't tell if the receiver actually had possession of the ball before he went out of bounds. You can't tell if he actually got his foot or both feet down inbounds before uh, he went out of bounds and on and on and on. And even after you see the replay several times over and over again in slow motion from a variety of different angles, you still cannot say 100% whether or not he was inbounds or out of bounds, whether or not it was a legitimate catch or not. Officials have a hard time with that decision, but I never do. I never do, ever. It's easy for me to know. Here's how it's easy for me to know. If it's the Colts, then the player caught the ball and was inbounds. If it was any other team, they didn't catch the ball and they were out of bounds. It's really clear for me. Clearly, that's based on my prejudice and my bias and my lack of objectivity when it comes to the Colts. Well, the truth is that same level of bias carries over into a lot of different areas in our lives when it comes to judging others. The third reason why none of us, absolutely none of us, are qualified to judge other people is this, and this is the one that trumps everything else, friends. Listen to me close. We aren't good enough to pass judgment. You're not and I'm not, none of us. We're not good enough. You remember that story found in John chapter 8 when religious leaders drug a woman in front of Jesus who was teaching one day who had been caught in adultery. And they said to him, this is John chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And Jesus did the most awkward thing. He knelt down and began just with his finger to write in the sand. You remember that? And nobody knows what he wrote. Uh, that's not revealed to us, a lot of speculation, but nobody knows for sure. And then finally, in John chapter 8 and verse 7, Jesus spoke these words. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And what happened next? One by one by one, all of those accusers left. And listen to me, friends. That story should be all we need, all you need, all I need to break the habit of judging others forever. We're not good enough to do that. You're not good enough to do that, neither am I. We're not qualified to sit in the judgment seat of anyone because none of us are without sin. 
We might try at times to qualify our judgment by saying something like this, well, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I never committed that sin, as if some sins are more honorable than others. But the sad truth to that is the Bible says that sin is sin, period. Period. And the truth is all of us are helpless and hopeless because of our sin. Apart from the grace of God, all of us are helpless and hopeless because of our sin. That's why we read in James chapter 4 and verse 12, the latter part of the verse, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And then in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, Paul says, you then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. None of us are good enough to judge others. So what are we going to do? What am I going to do if my New Year's resolution is to live out the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, so in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. How are we going to do that? If I'm going to challenge you to do that, then what instruction am I going to give you with regard to that when it comes to understanding, to, to view every other person? person you meet in this new year with understanding, hoping that they'll show you that same level of understanding? Well, I'm sure there are a number of ways to answer my question or my questions, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to give you three things, and I'm just going to use a single word to describe each one of them. And if you don't write anything else down, then this might be what you want to write down as we come to a close. The first one is humility. How, how, how are we going to live out this resolution? Number one, humility. If I'm going to show understanding to people so that they or in hopes that they will show understanding to me, then I have to live my life with humility. I'm going to put the words of Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 up on the screen. Paul writes and says, for by the grace given to me, or for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You know, there are times when we need to remember, perhaps even remind ourselves of what we just talked about. We don't have the right to throw the first stone. We need to remember and remind ourselves that we can make a much bigger impact on somebody's life with an attitude of genuine humility than we will ever make with an attitude of judgment. And no one ever modeled that better than Jesus did. No one. I've told you before when I read my Bible, especially in the Gospels, I have some favorite passages because they create a mental picture in my mind of what Jesus must have looked like in the moment. Here's one of them that I love. It's from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now listen to this, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus modeled that kind of humility. He, he, he treated people, he responded to people with an attitude or from an attitude of humility, and he made an impact on people's lives as a result. You know, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media, not because I'm addicted to it or I'm a social media junkie, but because I recognize that it's a, one of the most effective tools for communication in our church world. And so I have multiple social media accounts, and I'm, I, I post on there matters of faith, matters of church, matters of family. 
And I know many of you are active on social media as well. And so what that means is I see everything you post. I see everything you post. And sometimes I just shake my head and go to my knees immediately. But seriously, there are times when I will read some posts, especially in this last year, with all of the, all of the things that have been so divisive in our country, the virus, uh, racial and social unrest, a divisive presidential election. And I'll think to myself, how much more effective it would be or how much of a better use of your time it would be if you would get out from behind your computer or put your phone down and you would go find someone who doesn't agree with you on every matter in our culture, in our country today, and you would just find a way to develop a friendship with them and find a way to have civil conversations about the things that you disagree on and find a way to move forward together. Another way to say it would be like this. Find a way to develop a friendship so you can discover their story so that can lead to finding ways, discerning ways that you might influence them in a spiritual way. Influence them for Jesus. And let me tell you something. It will take a whole lot more strength. If you're, if you're, all, if you're into this, oh, I've, I've got to do this. I, I've, got to, I've got to stand for what's right. I've, I've got to, to, to make my case known. If you do this because you think it puts you in a position of power and strength, let me tell you, it will take a whole lot more strength for you to do that, to develop a friendship with somebody that doesn't agree with you than it will to sit behind your computer and just write mean-spirited, hurtful things one after another. So stop it. It's not the right approach. The second word I'll give you is this, empathy. Empathy is being able to identify with the feelings of others more than 2,000 years ago, a man named Rabbi Hillel said these words, do not judge a man until you yourself have come into his circumstance or situation. Now, we can give a modern-day translation to that. It said, don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes or something like that. It's the same, same basic uh, inference. A good biblical example of that would be these words from the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 13 and verse 3. He said, remember those in prison, note this, as if you were their fellow prisoner... And those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. That's empathy. That's empathy. And that's got to be a part of leading our lives with understanding. Our lives are shaped by the advantages and disadvantages that we experience. Our lives are shaped by our experiences and by our struggles. And no two people are the same. That's why there are times when you need to try to understand and even enter into someone else's personal experience so you can feel what they're feeling and you can see what they see. That'll happen when you develop relationships with people instead of just building walls between them with your judge, between you and them with your judgments. I used to think that I had a lot of empathy when it came to people who were sick and who were suffering and who were afraid. Because as a pastor, I've spent a lot of time walking alongside people who were sick and who were suffering and who were afraid. And then about eight and a half years ago, I found myself sick and suffering and afraid 
And let me tell you something. There's no comparison between what I thought I was and what I became as a result of understanding that on a deeper level. And that's got to be a part of the spiritual transformation of all of us. All of us who are committed to living like Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus empathizes with us? Where would we be without that? I love these words from Hebrews chapter 4 that says, this is verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet was without sin. And then he goes on to say, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive the mercy and find grace, or so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this truth about Jesus. You should love this truth about Jesus. And it should make all of us want to live out this truth of Jesus in our lives. Empathy. That's way better than judgment. And the third thing is this, and we'll close, and I'll have the worship team come out. The third thing, to live out this New Year's resolution that's based on Matthew seven twelve to do unto others as you would have them do unto you and begin with understanding. The third thing we need is grace. We need grace in our lives. In Ephesians 4, 32, Paul writes and says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And what Paul is saying here is show the same mercy to others that God has shown to you. Give others the same second chance that God has given to you over and over and over again. Extend to others the same benefit of the doubt that you want God to extend to you. If God has poured out his grace in your life, then you pour out grace in the lives of others. There's an ancient rabbinic teaching that says there are six works that give man credit in this life and in the life to come. And here they are. Study, visiting the sick, hospitality, devotion and prayer, teaching children the law of God, and thinking the best of other people. And there was, or excuse me, this was considered a key element in living a righteous life. Remember that last one, thinking the best of other people. Listen, when you give people that kind of understanding, then two things will happen. First of all, I believe God will pour out more mercy in your life, even more than he already has. And secondly, God can use that understanding that you give to someone else to be a spark to do something incredible in their life to give you the opportunity to speak into their life in a way like you've never had before, in a way that might just change their life for all eternity. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for a time to the, today, this morning, to share these truths, and I pray that you'll help us to give thought, be thoughtful about our lives moving forward in 2021, and to really find a way to put the divisiveness and the anger, the frustration of the past year behind us and move forward 
with a golden resolution to treat others, no matter who they are, in the same way we would like them to treat us and help us to begin with understanding. Help us to be people of humility, of empathy, and of grace. And help us to always, always remember that we, even on our best day, we are not good enough to judge anyone else. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together. We're going to sing one final song. And don't forget, when the service is over today down front, there'll be some people who would love to pray with you. If you have a concern or a burden, listen to me. If you just walked in weary and worn today, then let somebody pray with you, pray for you. If you're listening online and you feel the same way, reach out to your online host or your online pastor and let them pray for you as well today.